0: What's up, guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor back again with another sermon review. Today, we're going to be looking at a sermon by Levi Lusco called You Have a New Memory. He preached this at Fresh Life Church on May 2nd. Uh, as always, if you're new here to the sermon reviews, the reason we're doing these sermon reviews is to help us as congregants know what to listen for in a sermon. The red flags, the good things, the bad things, what we need to uh, kind of pay attention to. And then as pastors, if you're a pastor watching this, maybe to help uh, us craft our sermons a bit better, uh, a little bit clearer to learn from pastors to do it well and to maybe hopefully not repeat the mistakes of pastors that do it poorly. This is not as I've said before, a, hey, Levi Lesko's a great pastor. Hey, Levi Lesko's a horrible pastor. We're simply looking at him as an example to say, hey, what he does, should we emulate it? Should we not emulate it as pastors? Hey, should we listen to pastors like this as congregants? Or should we kind of, you know, say, well, what was that about? So that's what we're going to look at about today. If you'd like to watch this sermon without my commentary, which I totally understand, you can check out the link in the description below. Uh, to do that, uh, you know, at your leisure, obviously. So with that being said, let's start this sermon. Uh, we are not going to, as I s- I've said in some previous ones, we're not going to get all the way through this. I like to keep these at about an hour long because that's uh, a good little link there. Uh, so we're going to get through as much as we can in an hour. This sermon itself is an hour and two minutes by itself. So I know we're not going to get all the way through this. So hopefully we can get a good chunk of the way through and then kind of tie it up in a neat bow and you can finish the rest of it Applying the tools that we learned today to the rest of the text and the rest of the sermon as well So let's go. If
1: you have a Bible? We're gonna be in the book of Joshua today. Joshua is an amazing book of the Bible and God is going to speak something to us in our river wild series if you're joining us now Welcome. We have been looking at what the Bible has to say about rivers both what rivers mean and also rivers as a setting for some of the most incredible stories in the Bible.
0: Okay, so there's a couple things here. I've said it before, in case you're new, I'll say it again, because I think this is incredibly important to know from the get-go when you jump in, either as preparing a sermon as a pastor or listening to a pastor preach and kind of their intro to the sermon. There's two basic ways to approach a sermon. The one is going to be expositionally working through scripture. So I'm saying, hey, this is the chunk of text we're looking at. We're going to do it verse by verse. Or more specifically, as a congregation, as a church, we're going to go through the book uh, or the Gospel of Matthew, for example. Or we're going to go through the book of Joshua, for example. And we're going to work through that so that we can see narrative-wise or structure-wise, why this story was being written, or in this case in Joshua, why this story is being told, and really drawing out the truths of what happened there, really just mining for the depths of of what God wants to say to the people that read this as an account, and what he did for the people in this account, and working through that bit by bit, seeing how all of that connects, pointing back to what's happened before it so we can kind of see how it connects. Because again, we know that the Bible is a long storyline of God's redemptive history throughout mankind. So knowing that, uh, we can connect all of that together. What Levi's going to do, apparently, they've said, hey, we're going to do a series on rivers. I personally don't know. It just feels like somebody took a dice and was like, let's see what we're going to do. Rivers, all right, let's find all the passages with the rivers on them. Uh, But again, this is more methodology, not my preferred methodology of how to preach. I personally, just so my cards are on the table, I prefer to do it expositionally, saying, okay, let's work through this text at the very least. At best, let's work through this uh, book so we can kind of see how it all ties together and what it points to and uh, what it means. But anyway, to each their own in that regard. I don't know if there's a uh, totally right way to do it. I think that there's a, a clearer way to help people actually understand the scripture a little bit better. Topical isn't necessarily the way to do that all the time, but that's what he's chosen. So let's keep going now that we kind of know the, his mind behind it. They're doing a river series. They're looking at rivers. So we can pretty much guarantee if this is our first Sunday at Life Church, it's going to be a passage about a river.
1: And one of the rivers that is probably the most uh, famous, especially in the New Testament, we're introduced to in the Old Testament, and that is the Jordan River. The Jordan River. And we're we're, going to see a really incredible story take place here. It says in Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, free uh, dad joke, Joshua is the only person in the Bible besides Adam and Eve to have no parents because he was the son of. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. God said to Moses, his servant. Moses' his servant is told, Moses, my servant. You see, because everybody ultimately is God's servant, no matter who you are in life. Moses was the master. Joshua was the servant. But God says, but Moses was my servant. And if you want to do great things in the world, how you access them is through serving. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead in God's hand. The world says powerful people uh, assert their authority. And Jesus said, I'm the most powerful person who ever lived, and I'm going to wash your feet. And he said, I teach you a new and a better way. Greatness, leadership, it comes through having a servant heart. That is as true in the Fortune 500 as it is true in the halls of the church. That's not my sermon, just got distracted because I love the play on words there. Now then, verse two, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you, look at this, every place where you set your foot as I
0: Now, there's something I want to hit here before we get into it. Um, Whenever a text is read, like, so we're reading through a text, Um, what we want to say is, okay, why was this text here? Like, what is it telling us? Is it a narrative? Is it a poem? Is it, um, what's the point? Like, what's the literary literary device that is being used? So obviously right now, this is a narrative. This is a narrative historical device saying this is what happened. This is what's going to happen. And then what we see here that we haven't really fleshed out yet, but essentially what's happening is, Um, God giving to Joshua the promise that he had given to Moses that Moses cannot now do because Moses couldn't cross over to the promised land. So the idea here is that, okay, Joshua, the covenant that was Moses, I made with him. I now pass on to you. I'm making with you. So he tells Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. This is a huge deal within the text. This is a big deal that's happening here. It actually sets forth uh, everything that happens after this as far as how Joshua leads the people. So this is this is a pivotal moment. This is why it's at the beginning of Joshua, right? This is a pivotal moment telling us what's happened, where we're at, Moses is dead, this, this is being passed on to Joshua. This is a big, big deal because it's actually gonna set up Uh, the rest of, you know, so for example, uh, the battle of Jericho, what happens before that, them crossing the Jordan, like he just talked about, like all of this is set up because now this is being passed on. God, God's plan is still going forward, uh, as it, as it already was. So what is Levi going to say about this passage, right? So this is pivotal because whenever the pastor says, okay, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to look at and then reads the text. Our next step is, okay, well, which direction is he gonna go with this text? Because we've seen this before, right? If you've listened to any of the sermon reviews before, what we often see is this, either we're going to dive headfirst into the text and really look at kind of the historical background, what was going on, why this is important, or we're gonna say, how does this apply to me? Okay, that's two directions you're gonna go. There's not a whole lot of other directions. One of those two. Let's see how Levi does it.
1: I promise Moses. I just want to encourage you that where you go, God's blessing comes with you. And so you don't have to go look over here to find a place that's God's blessing here. Look over there to find God's blessing over there. I remember when we were praying these, uh, all these years ago, you know, 14 and a half years ago, where, where should we plant a church? Because we, we, knew, we knew that we had been released from the situation we were in. And the time had come finally for Jenny and I to step out and plant a church somewhere. That was really what we knew. What we didn't know was where. And we were, at a, at a moment uh, of our lives, kind of wishing for Adora the Explorer map to jump out of our magic backpack and sort of tell us where. Like we were really like getting weird with words. I remember, this is a true story. I remember being like, uh, should, should it be over here? And geographically, there was a river there. And that day in my quiet time, I had read Paul went down to the riverside. So I was like, it's a sign, baby. You know, it's like, it's, it's, I, I, we, were, we were getting so weird about it. And so I, I went to, to seek advice and wisdom from a pastor. I believe that, that God blesses through people. And being under authority. So I went and submitted myself to someone. He's speaking to the situation. Here's this choice and here's this. Should we go here? Should we, should we go there? And he, he was amazing. He sat back in his chair and he goes, It doesn't really matter. I was like, What, what do you mean? Because I was so keyed up. Where's it? It's got to be the perfect spot. It's got to be God's will. It's got to be right. And he goes, Levi, there's people that need to know about Jesus everywhere. So go somewhere. What was he saying? Everywhere you set your foot, God's going to bless you. God's going to use you. God's going to touch people through you. Quit worrying so much and step out in faith and see what God does. And it was so freeing. I believe God's will is whatever.
0: Okay, so the idea here that he now takes this text and says, okay, for us, uh, for him specifically, he uses an example to kind of connect it to the congregation. But he says, you know, wherever we didn't know where to go, we were reading stuff into the situation, and it was wherever we went, God blessed us. Okay, that's helpful because that, I mean, that, you know, okay, yeah, everywhere we go, God if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're taking the kingdom forward, if we're, we're going and declaring the kingdom of Jesus Christ, yeah, he's going with us. The kingdom is advancing. That is a t- totally different thing than what we see happening in Joshua. This is, not a, this is not a one-to-one correlation. This is God saying, hey, this I promised Moses. I'm now with you as well. Where you go, I'll be. Wherever, you, wherever your footsteps is yours. This is entirely different than what Levi is now saying, where when we go forward as believers, we're taking the kingdom with us, which he didn't even say that, but I'm going to kind of assume that's what he means here. Um, And that's a lot different. So what we've seen right away is we're not diving into the text. We're reading on top of where he's basically saying, hey, he told Joshua wherever his footsteps is going to be his. And that's just like us, wherever our footsteps is going to be ours. Uh, and then saying, there's a one-to-one correlation. We're just like Joshua. We're just like Moses. Wherever we go, wherever our footsteps, then God is God is giving us that place. There, there's a lot that's been read into that immediately that's not in the original text. Now, again, as we've said before, are there different places, especially in the New Testament, where, where Christians go forward, the kingdom goes with them? Yes, that does not mean that we can make the connection back to the Old Testament in this text, text specifically and be like no that's what that means this is a totally different uh, concept in the new testament that we have as far as the kingdom advancing than what we have here in the old testament with god telling joshua everywhere your footsteps uh, is yours because it's a totally different tie-in it's not even pointing to the same thing and we have to be aware of that but we won't be aware of that if we don't exegete the text if we don't dig in if we don't see what happened all the way up to this point if we don't even know the covenant being referred to then we're going to be we are going to make the mistake of reading ourselves into this when we're not even here so that being said let's keep going
1: that doesn't help me pick my school yes it does because god's will is whatever you do in word or deed Honor him. So if you're honoring God, it's his will. So honor him at school. Honor him at work. Honor him at home. Honor him online. Honor him as you email. Honor him as you drive. If you do that, God's will is whatever you do. Wherever you are, seek to bring attention and honor to Jesus, and you just watch as he blesses you as you go. Also not my sermon
0: here's the thing that's none of that was in necessarily incorrect. It just doesn't tie in at all to what he said uh, in the text. And I think we need to note that like it, it really fosters this idea that I can read myself into anything. And it's, it's incredibly important to understand that that's not the case. And if we don't train our people as pastors, and if those congregants don't know that, we're gonna be very apt to read ourselves into everything and do exactly what Levi said him and his wife were doing where they were trying to figure out where to plant the church. They were getting really weird about wording, and they were getting really keyed up about you know reading th- messages into things that weren't there. Ironically, that's exactly what he's doing here, and we just need to be aware of that. Because um, what he said isn't necessarily wrong. It just doesn't connect to the text we're looking at. <laughs>
1: Jumping ahead, Joshua 3, verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. It's incredible to think that oftentimes it's not the game really that counts. It's what happens in the game before the game. Great men and women know the power of preparation. So Joshua said, I believe tomorrow can look great. So what significant thing can we do? Consecrate today for the work you want to see him do tomorrow. Y'all, you got to train for the trial you're not yet in.
0: Okay, that's super tweetable, but that's not okay. Um, One thing you need to look for in uh, a sermon, especially when you're reading through text is, do we make enormous jumps in the text? Uh, because if we do that's significant, because that means we've missed a lot of what's happened, probably a lot of very important things that have been set up to this point. So we read the first two chapters or first, uh, three verses of Joshua chapter one. And then we jump all the way over, um, Joshua assuming command. We jump all the way over, uh, Rahab hiding the spies that go to Jericho. Uh, we jump all the way over all of that, um, And we're jumping into the preemptiveness before Israel crosses the Jordan. And then we go all the way to chapter uh, three, verse five, where Joshua tells the people to consecrate themselves. But there's a reason they're being told to consecrate themselves is because they're about to partake in something that God has told them to do as far as crossing the Jordan. There's a lot of instructions between chapter one or chapter three, rather, verses one through five that are that are important and actually play into the culture of israel at the time of why joshua says consecrate yourself it's not that he woke up one day and says you have to prepare for your future that's not what's happening um he's telling the people to do a ceremonial act because of what's about to happen um but we don't know that because we're not in the text and here's the thing i don't know anything about levi again this isn't about levi but we have to understand that as pastors when we're preaching There's a lot of things that are happening in the text that the people don't know about, they're not aware about. And hopefully in our study and prep time in prayer and fasting and preparing for the sermon, we've looked at that. We've looked back at that. We've made those connections so that when we're now preaching, we can make those connections and do the heavy lifting for those in the congregation so we can just present it to them and be like, all right, this is where this dot connects. This is where this dot connects. I mean, hopefully some of the people in the congregation already know that because they've been in the Word, they've done the study of this text. But if they haven't, we can't assume they have, then we've done that research and we connect those dots. And when we skip from chapter one all the way down to chapter five and miss all the things that's happened before that, there's some really important things that have occurred there. Do I think that you're gonna be able to cover that amount of space really fast? No, that's why I think that you should work through it piece by piece, right? Because now, you know, as you're working through it expositionally, we now see where all those pieces connect. We see the story coming together and we don't have to try to catch up between chapter one and three because we've already been there. But it's just important to know that there is so much reading onto the text happening here that we're losing so much of the richness of what's happened in chapters one through three at this point um, of, of God's just him, him lining things up in such a way, things happening Uh, behind the scenes that are actually preparing for what's about to occur uh, that will actually affect things later as well that we're just missing so much of it.
1: Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes, remember that Micro Machines commercial, of all the Israelites so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. All the kids said, no, we don't remember that. (laughs) Verse 8, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. And as soon as the priests, verse 13, who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, just so you know, the, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord were standing now firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, or what used to be the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Then if you jump to chapter 4, verse 1, when the whole nation finished crossing, because there was 2 million people, OK? We get some details for the sake of our time today and attention. Uh, we, can, we can leave for you to read on your own. They finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priest stood and to carry them over with you and to put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from every tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean, tell them, that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I want to give to you from this text a message that I'm calling You Have a New Memory.
0: Okay, so real quick before he gets in and starts going into his sermon based on the text he just read. We read a lot of text there, which is great. That's incredibly uh, helpful. And that's something you want to look for whenever you're, you're you know, listening to a sermon. Okay, how much of this is based on the text? Did we read any text? Was it just one verse? No, actually, there's a ton of verses here that we read through, which is really, really good. The question now becomes after this, how many of these verses are we actually gonna get into? Are we actually gonna dig into the depths of what just happened? Because just to give you an overview, like this, there's so much language here pointing back to the Exodus, pointing back to them leaving Egypt, pointing them back to the splitting of the Red Sea. Like there's a lot of similar language. There's a lot of visuals that uh, are put forth here that say this is this is similar to that. This is something that like, would they would draw their memory back to that event um, and there's actually some things that happen uh, after this that if we were to read are the same things that occur that, that really in chapter five specifically draw back the to Exodus as well that point back to that event and the wrapping up of like this whole saga that's happened since the Exodus until now. And there's so many connections that can be made to that. Um, The question is, are we going to go that direction and explore those connections of God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people, what that looks like, what that means? That's the question, right? So let's see what happens here because we've read this huge amount of text. There's so much here that we could get into um, that points to the glory and the just magnificence of who God is. Let's see what's going to happen after this. Now. Uh, he says his title of his sermon is you have a new memory. Obviously he's pointing back to the rocks, uh, being stacked up and the kids asking, you know, why are these rocks here? So let's uh, keep going.
1: You have a new memory. That's something our phones are telling us these days at the most bizarre times. Got a text. No, I didn't.
0: One thing too, I was meant to hear, so I don't have to stop it here in a minute I can just let it play through. Um, Stories, as I've said before, are incredibly important to a sermon um, because they can help us understand what we've read maybe in a more modern light. Um, because we're separated by time and space sometimes things aren't exactly super clear to us. so as a uh, the pastor's job essentially is to make those things clear to teach us uh, the Word of God. And by some in some methods you, you need to tell a story or an illustration to get us from point A to point B because maybe point A' is a little murky for us and we, we don't know you know all the intricacies and details and history of that. So through illustration or story, you can get us to point B to where we go, oh okay. I get that a little bit better now. We've seen that in past sermon reviews. Uh, last sermon review, Jeff Durbin did that fairly well when he was talking about Passover, that being, uh, you know, a yearly thing, something that happened to remind them of things before, and the, the foods were the same, the rituals were the same, like, and pointing to our modern day sort of Thanksgiving, though obviously not as important, not pointing to the same sort of things that Passover does, but similar things where there's same food, same events, same people are around, and saying, you know, this is sort of like that. Uh, Without getting into a ton of detail, just saying, okay, kind of like Thanksgiving, just so you kind of make that connection. Uh, Again, not a perfect example, but a pretty good way to show that an illustration can be short, sweet, to the point, and communicate the message. What we want to look at here is the same sort of thing. We have to understand that stories and illustrations are good. They're not bad, evil things that no one can ever use. The question is, when we use them, are they productive? right? Do they draw us more into the scripture and understanding it in a a way that maybe we didn't before? Or do they distract us and take us so far away that we actually have to go, oh yeah, we were talking about the Bible, right? So let's listen to this because he's going to set up some stories here and I don't want to stop and interrupt him as he's going through them. So as he does that, let's ask the question, are these stories helpful? Are they productive? Do they draw out the text or are they a little distracting and not super helpful? Let's get into it.
1: My phone just letting me know, hey, remember this? Remember two months ago? You were around water. You were also around water over the last couple of years, multiple times. And I've taken the liberty of grouping them together <laughs> into a Franken memory <laughs> built up of all the algorithm decided moments in your life that you now are going to watch, set to cheesy, emotionally heavy handed music. <laughs> and sometimes they get us, right? It's like, best of 2014, like, this is a Tuesday, I'm ready to go. Let's do it, right? It's like, and you're watching this and it's like, oh my gosh, remember that, calling people into the room, what's this? You're sending it to people you love, right? But then you get to the end of it and you're like, ah, there was a box of raisins, right? It's just it really, it, 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 what, you really had it going until that. Why did you put, that was not the best of 2014 at all. It's just, I don't even know why I took that photograph. Maybe it just in the moment, I, I was hungry. They seemed like the best raisins ever, so I took it so I'd remember to always buy that brand. Right? You know those weird things we do? The photos we take that we don't ever intend to see again. Like you, you take a picture of shampoo because you were out of it, not because you love Vidal Sassoon, but, <laughs> but somehow someone at Cupertino said, they really have been smitten with this shampoo. Let's put that into the highlight reel for the, the decade of that you just went through, right? It's like, <laughs> you have a new memory. So bizarre. You, it's funny because when it, when it comes, our reaction almost always is I had forgotten, which tells you it's not actually a memory. We never remembered that. So much of our life we forget. They're telling us, here's something you actually don't remember most of this. Oh, I, I kind of remember that. You have, you have a new memory. We don't have to be told about things we actually remember. And it can backfire. Someone goes through a messy divorce. Bzz, you have a new memory. Here's you two together over the years. Thanks, right? Thanks for that. Here's, here's you at this job you just lost. Let's show you every picture you ever took there. You have a new memory. Thank you. Number one thing you will find if you Google, you have a new memory is how to turn off those notifications. The number two thing you'll find is a, a compendium of stories of times where this has really gone wrong. My personal favorite was the girl who was taking a sexually charged video to send her boyfriend. Don't do it kids, swipe right. And, um, and she was doing this in her kitchen and she set the phone up on the counter and you know was gonna take this video and send it to her boyfriend, uh, probably to work out her daddy issues. And as she does this, what she did not know was that she had pre-selected a certain album on her phone to automatically send any new photo in it to her mother. see here's this going. Now, of course, She had not said to her phone, uh, OK, Google, whenever I take naked photos, uh, please uh, send them to my mom. She had, however, told this algorithm, anytime there's photos of my son in them, and you detect his face with facial recognition, send that to that shared album, and mom gets that. Now, of course, her son was not present on this day. But there was a photo of him on the refrigerator, which was the backdrop for this lurid video that she was sending out. So Google said, you told me if I see your son, send it to your mom. So her mom's just sitting there crocheting or whatever she was doing. Bzz, you have a new photo added to the Billy memory club. And, and I, what I do love is the thought of the conversation it occasioned, right? Anybody with me on, on, on that? Uh, so so here, here's the point. Here's the point, what we remember, what we forget is significant. And that is the emphasis of this story where Joshua is told, make sure that before the priests leave the river, you send some men out, one for every tribe, pick 12 people, and as representatives of the whole, they're to each get a river rock.
0: Okay, so just real quick so we know, that was five, six, seven. Eight. That was about three minutes of story that didn't really get us to any point because he actually had to say, "Hey, I, the point is this, right?" So we spent three minutes through stories of just. I know three minutes doesn't seem like a long time, but you know he could have done it three minutes to go through the history of Israel, to go through um, what brought them to this point, to go through uh, why this event actually is so like the event of crossing of the Red Sea neither here nor there the point is we had to look at and say do these stories amplify or distract from the overall text and i would say they distracted from the overall text that's what i that's that would be my contention so he goes this is the point is though that they went to go get these stones to take out of the river where the priest stood to pile later so that we could uh, use them as sort of markers so that when our kids ask us what are these stones later we can point them back to the fact that god has delivered his people, right? That's the point. This is the point of the stones that we can point back and say, God has delivered his people, which again is us pointing back saying, you don't remember what happened in the Exodus. You don't remember us going over the Jordan. You don't remember all of the things that occurred up to that point, but God is faithful overall point here. So let's see where he takes it.
1: And with these river rocks in their hands, then and only then is this crossing complete. Because I don't want to just bring you through this. I want you to remember why it happened, how it happened, what took place as it happened. So that as you go on and start this new life, as you cross the threshold and this boundary marker separating you from what was and to what is, as you go into this kingdom, as generations continue, I want you to remember what you've been through. And I want your kids bumping into these rocks saying, mom, dad, why are these rocks here? What, why did anybody pile up? I was in Gilgal the other day, and it's the weirdest thing. There's the market, there's the fire station, there's the playground, but there's this weird section circled off. And you, you approach it, and there's, there's, there's these rocks. And it doesn't make any sense. Why would anybody put a display with a bunch of, of, of rocks on it? And I want that to be an occasion. I want that to be uh, an excuse, a prompt, you could say. For you then to sit them down, say, there's something I never told you. You know how we live here in this land flowing with milk and honey? It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, well, we didn't always live here. And then they would have the opportunity to tell a story to their children that hopefully their children would be telling to their own kids as well one day. One of the greatest enemies to the life of faith is forgetfulness. Spiritual amnesia, which is why the Bible is always telling us to remember, to remember, to remember, to go back, to look again. Second Peter three one. This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking. I've I've sought to refresh your. Memory. Paul said the same thing, 1 Corinthians 4. That's why I sent Timothy to you, to Corinth. He's my dear son. This guy's the best. And he's true to the master. He will refresh your memory on the instructions I regularly give to all the churches on the way of Christ. What it means to follow Christ. To follow God, you have to foster memory. You have to
0: Okay, so one of the things that I, I would point out here, and I don't think this is necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I think what he uses here, as far as the text go, is really good, as far as pointing to these New Testament letters in which the apostles write to the churches and saying, hey, I'm here to remind you of the things that you've forgotten about, uh, how God works in your life, what he's done in your life. I mean, we see this, especially with Paul pointing back and saying, hey, some of you used to be this way, now you're this way. Remember that, remember what God's done. So this is, I think, very helpful, just as far as, uh, again, this is methodology for me. This isn't necessarily a sermon review part here, but I think what we could have done, if we're flowing with the text, the idea would have been better to say, hey, so the point of the text is for the Israelites to see these stones, the kids to ask, and then the Israelites to point back and say, hey, you need to remember what God has done for us. Now, that would have been a good point, I think, to interject, well, what, God, what has God done for them up to this point? I mean, what's happened up to this point since the Exodus, uh, including the Exodus that's happened where God has brought them through? Hey, name a few. We were freed from slavery from Egypt. God provided manna in the wilderness. He's given us leaders to lead us to this point. We're about to enter into the land of milk and honey. That's the whole point of this, the stones on the other side of crossing the Jordan, right? He did it again, right? Not only did we go through the Red Sea, we also went through the Jordan River. God is faithful in all these things. We can name a number of other things. Those are just the top four and that, that he tells the people to point the children back to. Because they weren't there. They didn't experience. They don't remember, right? That's what we talk about with our kids all the time. Like, you don't know mom and dad before we were saved. You don't know grandpa and grandpa before we were saved. Let's tell you about that because you don't know. You don't remember. You haven't lived through that experience. And that's the whole point of these stones, right? To point back and say, this is what this is what it looks like. This is what we went through. You're supposed to remember this, right? And point back to the history of Israel to say this is actually what they were they'd be telling their kids now i think these verses that he mentions here are very helpful in the regard that um i think as believers right so as if we were to work through this whole text and then apply those at the end of the end of the sermon saying hey just like the israel's the israelites were pointing their children to the memories they needed to remember we often have to be reminded of you know what god does in our life what that looks like what he's still doing and I think that would have been a good tie-in. Personally, again, that's just a little critique that's not incredibly important, but when we're talking about sermon structure, I think it is important to where we put what and why we put it where we put it. As far as the flow goes, I think that kind of interrupts it, but it's neither here nor there. I think the scripture he's using is helpful. It fits into what we're talking about. It's just that that's a little interjection as far as methodology, because we what we want to know is if the point of the text is for the Israelites to tell their kids about what God's done, what's God done then? So let's get to it. To
1: fight against forgetfulness. So two ingredients to this, two ingredients in my sermon in a sentence to follow God and keep moving forward. You have to forget everything you think, you know, and you have to intentionally remember stuff that you would rather forget. You have to be willing to forget what you think, you know, and you also have to be willing to fight, to remember things that you would rather, forget. Let's just spend a moment or two on the first part, because the bulk of the message and my assignment today is to focus on the latter half of that. But we have to at least acknowledge how weird it is to do what God says to do much of the time, as evidenced in our text by a river crossing, a river that is overflowing its banks, as the text says, at flood stage, which we know means it was roughly a mile wide and raging and ripping. And this is when rivers are dangerous, and this is when rivers are violent, and this is when more people lose their lives in rivers. And how do you get, here's a question for you, Chris. How do you get 2 million people across the rapids of a rapidly moving river at flood stage? I guarantee you, not one of you thought to yourself, we should get some guys to hold a box to walk into it. And then everybody else could just follow him but that's what god picked
0: why so i think when we do this again because we've not went through the text we've not talked about the box that he's talking about that we don't understand um you know that it's god's presence with them it's the ark of the covenant like what what is this what does this look like for the people of israel now not only is it this repeating of Exodus, not only is it this reminder of who God is, it's not just we're gonna carry a box into the river, but because we haven't explored that, we haven't talked about um, what that is, where they're at, how they got here, then we're just sort of up in the air. We're, we're at the mercy of whether we've read it or whether Levi's gonna tell us the history, right? That's kind of where we're at. If we haven't read it, we don't know. We don't know how we got here. We don't know why we're here. And if Levi doesn't tell us that and give us some background as the pastor, um we're kind of at a loss because now we're just going oh okay yeah no yeah you're right that's that's crazy like that you know crazy faith right <laughs> the idea is that if we don't know the background of the history and it hasn't been explained it's really hard for us to understand like the importance of what's happening here so it, it's important for pastors for us as pastors to give that information and to provide that as we've done the work to prepare the sermon so that the people that are sitting in the pew can can know where we're at it's not we're not throwing them in the middle of a book right we're not saying hey uh here you are with this guy named frodo he's got a ring you guys are trying to get to a mountain called mordor and we're like well okay why like how why does he have a ring how did we get here what's mordor right if we don't explain that then we're just going hey there's a cover there you know they're going to put a they're going to carry a box into a river people are going to cross over and then when you get over there you're going to put stones on the other side okay, why is like, this is what's significant about what's happening. Like, if you don't know, you miss the weight of what's happening. You're, you're, you're cut out of so much of this story that means so much up to this point. Um, which is why I think, again, this is just my method to preach to the text so that now we're all connected to it. We all understand what's happening. We know why it's happening. Um, but Hey, that's just me.
1: God's ways are not our ways. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And what man thinks is is the best thing in the world, God often rejects. God often rejects what man selects. And what man rejects, God often selects. So he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. If he wants to save us, he doesn't say, hey, you know what you could tell him to do? Be religious, be awesome, be holy. That's been tried. It didn't really work so well. The 10 Commandments were violated before they were even given over, right? This is, this is not how we save ourselves. So we don't pick a purple flower at the top of the highest mountain and come back down and say to ourselves, this is fire. Look what I have created. I have made myself right with God. I will now beat my breast and shine my metal and polish my halo and tell everybody else that they can do as I have done. That's called religion. But what instead God does that's foolish to the world, that's offensive to our sensibilities, is he says, I sent my son as a peasant. He got butchered and slaughtered on the cross. While he was hanging there, he paid your bill. You trust in him. You believe in me. You can be forgiven. That is.
0: Okay. so here's the thing. Uh, Oftentimes, when we're looking at these sermon reviews, we're seeing if the gospel is presented. So the gospel currently as presented is that Jesus or God sent Jesus as his peasant, as a peasant. Uh, he got butchered and died on a cross. Um, and that if you believe in him, uh, you can be saved because on that cross, you paid your bill. A couple questions come up, uh, especially if I've never heard of Christianity or grown up in Christianity before is, okay, w- what just happened? What do you mean God sent Jesus? Uh, what do you mean he was butchered and slaughtered on a cross? And how does that pay some imaginary bill that I was unaware I had? And how does believing in that act alone save me from what? Also, what does it save me from? Like what? Why? What's happening, right? That, that's the general idea. So we can't just assume as pastors that everyone in the congregation understands um, the atonement right we can't just throw it in there and be like hey we know you get it don't worry about it all five views of the atonement no big deal like we can't assume that and on that same note even if people have been in christianity for a while we can't assume they understand that not only that we have to explain to them what that look okay so jesus was born of a virgin that's an incredibly important note that we can kind of put in there we also can note that he was on a cross why Right. Why did he die? Why, why was the cross so important? Why was that death so important? Well, it actually ties back to Old Testament prophecy. It actually ties back to how God said he was going to redeem the world from Genesis chapter three. Right. Uh, it points back to all of that. We can we can walk through that. Um, obviously, with a, 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 a small amount of time, you have to do that in a way that um, that that's helpful but yet still meaningful and people can understand it and point them to maybe talk to somebody after the service or uh, point them to a resource that kind of explores that a little bit more, but we also have to explain the depth of sin right and this would have been easy to fit in because the reason that israel is in the position they're in is because of sin uh, but we need to talk a, a little bit about the depravity of man the sins that we commit not just the oops and azies, but the actual horrible things that are in us that uh, we're capable of even if we don't do it like our capability of doing evil deeds is there And talking about why the life death and resurrection of jesus actually can change us from the inside out and our hearts and our minds and how we perceive and how we interact and what we do because of the death on the cross and what we're saved from and the fact that we're i know this isn't going to be popular with a lot of people but we're saved from the wrath of god coming because of our sin right so yeah jesus on a cross is really important but it's not just he paid a bill what does that mean right if you believe in him, you can be saved. First of all, what does believing in him mean? Second of all, what does that mean to be saved? Like we can't just throw these terms out and assume people know what they mean. Now again, maybe they do know, and not that you're going to be able to unpack that as a pastor with, you know, in 15 minutes in the middle of a sermon that's going on, but this is why it's important to really think this out, really tie it into what we're seeing here being played out in uh, in the Israelites crossing the Jordan and collecting these stones. And we just need to be very thoughtful in preparation in order to be purposeful in what we say so that we just don't throw things out and be like, oh, check it off. We, we checked off the gospel. We told them about Jesus' death on the cross and, and, and the fact that they need to be saved. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. what. Okay, fine. Um, let's keep going.
1: Can we just say it? Weird. It's it's weird. And it's offensive because it it rubs us the wrong way because we don't get to be the hero of that story. But if we're doing the gospel right, we always perpetually forever are the damsel in distress that Jesus swoops in and saves off the train tracks. And he gets the glory. And he gets the salvation. And the actual mechanism of it is intentionally bizarre so that we will use faith, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And it's always been faith that God uses to tap us into the grace that he longs to give to us. So they're going to cross the river, and they're going to get into the promised land. They're going to fight a bunch of battles. Guess what? The first one's going to be called Jericho. Jericho is going to be a secure military fortress, the most difficult fight by far they have in the entire campaign to take the promised land. And how do you take up a city that has gates, that has walls, that has archers, that has armies? How do you get into the city that's impregnable because it's built on a hillside and you have to climb the first wall? Then there's a terrace, then there's a berm, then there's a second wall. And to continue to do this, scaling to the last wall, there were four walls that guarded Jericho. They were secure, they were, they were barred. You were not getting in because the moment you got over the first wall, you're stuck now so they can shoot you like fish in a barrel below. How are we going to take Jericho? Joshua says, don't worry about it. I was having my quiet time. God told me what we're going to do. So all of his generals said, amazing. They've got their plans. They've got their, their clipboards. They've got their pens. So they're ready, as he says. Here's what God says we're going to do. All right, we're going to get everybody out. We're going to walk around the city, and that's it. They shut their pens off. They put them away. Joshua says, no, you didn't hear the best part. Oh, he says, at the end, we're going to yell really loud. Ah, we're screwed. He's lost it. Great assistant, bad leader. Right?
0: So here's the thing. Whenever there are, there are, there are a couple things that a pastor fights in preparing a sermon. And it's one of the things that sometimes we lose that battle, which is how much do you include in a sermon that is still going to make it understandable and helpful for uh, for the point we're trying to get across with whatever that point is within the, the narrative or the, the letter that is being kind of preached through. Right. And oftentimes, and I think this is what's happened here in this particular sermon, because again, it goes on for an hour after this. We're only going to look at 15 more minutes. But um, whenever you try to fit chapters two, well, he doesn't do really two. So when you try to put chapters three, four, five, and six all together, it makes it incredibly difficult to do because there's a lot happening there. And then when you try to do a flyover view, there's so much intricacy that you miss that's put there for a reason that you're actually missing a lot of the narrative that's that's supposed to be being told there so you have to make a decision like am i going to zero in on something And really go for it, or am I going to do with a flyover view and then touch the high points? And what we're trying to do here, what he what he's been doing is he zoomed in really hard in chapter four, and now we're doing a flyover of five and six. And it's not incredibly, in my opinion, it's not incredibly helpful because he's not portraying that conversation between Joshua and Joshua uh, laying out the plan of how God told him to take Jericho. Like he's not laying that out in in a manner. I would encourage you to go read. Chapters, uh, we did most of four, but read four, five, and six, and then see how that all plays out because it's incredibly important. It's not, they're going, ah, he's crazy. Like, that's not what's happening. There's actually probably a little bit of that there. You'll see that when you read it, but there's a lot more intricacy and detail in God's communication to Joshua as a leader in this very pivotal time of them trying to take Jericho. That again, we even missed when we didn't cover chapter two, because we've already uh, talked about in chapter two, Rahab and the spies and all of that whole thing that went down. That's incredibly important to the story as well. Um, It's just it's important as pastors that when we're preparing a sermon, we go, okay, how much of this do we want to bite off? Because there's a lot here. And you don't wanna miss out on what's included for a reason because if we believe the word of God is the word of God, we, we believe that everything is there for a reason. There's not like an accidental uh, thing that was added as far as narrative goes. Like there's a reason it's there. Even if it's part of a bigger chunk that points back to another thing that's happened, that's why it's there to remind us, to point back, to, to point to something else. Um, there's not just uh, some text that we can go, well, that's not important. Who cares about a genealogy? Well, the genealogy is there for a reason as an example that sometimes people look over. So we just have to be very careful about saying, hey, we're going to buy off this huge chunk. Because when we do that, we lose so much of uh, the ability to really work through it in an effective way to point to what God is doing and really draw that out. Um, and that's what's happened here, I think, is that we're he's trying to cover so much that um, we're not covering a lot of it.
1: They're just thinking to themselves, this is, this is nuts. That's what God did. So you have to, as you follow Jesus, forget everything you think you know. Walking with Jesus. What is it going to take to grow? It's going to take uh, you know, some prayer. And it's going to take fasting. And it's going to take worship. And it's going to take being vulnerable with one another. All right, great, got it. But when do I get to really do something? That's pretty much it, right? We're gonna continue to do these simple things, these foolish things, these things that don't seem like they're going to work. But as we obey, as we follow, as we are willing to go in circles in Jesus' name, come on, just keep worshiping, keep going, keep giving, keep trusting, share your faith, step out, do something stupid when God nudges you, give him glory no matter what you're doing, as we're obeying, as we're doing it. Why did the priest go first? It's this picture of seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things and, and will be added unto you. It's the point is if he had sent, said, sent the warriors first, we would have go, yeah, sent the, sent the soldiers. No, he said, send the priests first. They don't even have weapons. They're just armed with the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of the presence of God paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ that covers. So when we. Are-
0: OK, so what he did there with the whole Ark of the Covenant thing really doesn't explain to us how they would have viewed the ark of the covenant he ties the ark of the covenant to jesus for our understanding but doesn't at all explain what the ark of the covenant was for them other than it was the presence of god in their midst but it's so much more than that that's why it gets sent ahead right because the presence of god is leading his people again a call back to what we see in exodus where god leads his people by a pillar of fire and by a pillar of smoke, right? It's just God leading his people. There's so many tie-ins that we're we're just not addressing here. We're not looking at um, of God's faithfulness and going before his people and that being their strength and him being their hope and all of this. It's just, we're missing it. And it's because really up to this point in this particular sermon, again, we're assuming that we're walking into Faith Life Church this morning. You and I, we don't know anything about this church. We don't know anything about what they've talked about and sitting down. And there's this expectation that apparently we know what the Ark of the Covenant is or we know what's happened up to this point. And it's very important that as pastors we do that, right, that we explain that. And it's equally as important as as congregants as we're listening that we're saying, you know, is this? Do I understand really what's happening, or do I think I understand because the the pastor's saying it in a certain way, right? So he's made this really quick tie in: Ark of the Covenant, Jesus, God's presence, um, but as far as as far as my experience goes most people have a pretty deficient understanding of what the old testament is what it looks like how it all ties together and uh, we just don't spend a lot of time in it and because we don't spend a lot of time in it we have this very uneducated idea uh, or understanding rather of you know what god has been doing in the old testament what to lead up to the new so Um, let's tie this up real quick. We got about five minutes left in this sermon review and, uh, then we'll kind of tie it up in a bow. So let's see what he says to end us out here.
1: We are sending our, ark first into the week. We're pausing on a day when we could be on a lake. We,
0: you see what he's doing? He's tying that in. So now we're eisegeting on top of the text. Uh, we're sending our ark into the week, much like the Israelites sent the ark in front of them.
1: could be working, we could be getting ahead, we could be doing any other thing, but we sit here in the inefficiency of this moment. Why? We're sending the priest out first. We're believing that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when we get to the water, it's going to part for us. Why? Because we sought God first and His righteousness, and we can believe that all these other things are going to be added unto
0: us. Okay, so we'll stop there. He's going to move on to another point here in a minute. Um, I think it's a good point to stop because what it shows is really what we've done this entire sermon. And again, if you don't believe me, guys, the link is in the description. You can watch the rest of the sermon, see this play out over and over again through this whole sermon. But what he's saying is, that we're going to send our ark ahead of us, like the Israelites sent the ark ahead of them. When they, when we get to a hard part in our week, it's going to part. Like when they got to the Jordan, it parted. We're going to pick up stones to remember our difficulties. They're going to pick up stones to tell their kids about their difficulty. Like it's just a one-to-one. We're walking beside them. This is us. This is Jesus. if you want to know a definition. Like I hate to keep – I feel like some of these sermon reviews, for real, are just a re- rinse and repeat of some of the stuff we've done before. Um, because it's so common to do this anymore, to just read yourself into the text and not really look at the richness of what's in this narrative that we have presented just in these chapters of Joshua, of how faithful God is, how it points back to the Exodus, what that means. In chapter five, for example, uh, the eat of the land, the manna stops. And it's really, it's easy. He actually covers this in this sermon near the end, but doesn't catch what's happening is this this callback to their wondering is done. This this part and their history is over. Like they have now entered into the land. This thing that God promised them has happened. And it's this kind of book into this big thing that's happened between them leaving Egypt and now and God's promise being fulfilled to them. And it's just this amazing picture of God's grace and mercy to them. And that's what these rocks are for. So that as they tell their kids, this is what God did for us, right? This is his faithfulness, even when we were unfaithful. Um, And how, you know, we as modern day believers can do the same thing. Now we point back to God's goodness and we, we, we don't, you know, and he, to Levi's benefit, when you, if you, if you do watch the rest of this sermon to his benefit, he does touch on this a little bit, but as believers now, we can point back, our kids as well. And it's not that we can't make one-to-one comparisons. It's that when we read ourselves onto the text, that's when it becomes problematic because that's not what the text is for here. It's for a narrative to show God's goodness. And if we walk through it, we'll see so many connections being made. So that being said, guys, hopefully this was helpful to you I would very much encourage you to watch the whole sermon and apply these same tools and you know don't don't let me say hey look what he's doing here like I my the point of these sermon reviews is to give you the tools to then go out and say hey that was a great sermon that was a great point that was stuck to the text that did everything it was supposed to do uh, versus saying okay well we like we really read ourselves on the top of that text there like that wasn't great um, we twisted that to make it say something it doesn't really say like the point of these sermon reviews is to give you tools to do that in your day-to-day life. I don't want to tell you how to think. I want to give you the tools to say, hey, this is the tools we can use to see if these things are good, right? Uh, I'm sorry. I don't want to tell you what to think. I want to teach you how to think so that we can use these tools to then see if these are, or these are good or not. So that, you know, I don't have to be like, that's a good pastor. That's a bad pastor. You can just take these tools, these exegetical tools, these uh, contextual tools and say, hey, was that a good sermon or not? Because that's the goal of these sermon reviews is to do that with any sermon given by any body. Um, so that being said, guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for subscribing. If this was helpful to you, make sure you share, make sure you comment, uh, and I'll talk to you next week.